When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So if you're wondering what the title of today's podcast is all about, uh, I would encourage you to, to, rather than me try to describe it myself, take a second and, and go to, to Google or YouTube or whatever and type in that phrase, money printer go burr. And it's this new meme that sort of came out in the last week, you know, 10 days. And the whole point of it, it, it I don't know, my wife doesn't understand why it's so humorous to me. Uh, but it's, the, the whole point of it is that the Fed, when faced with difficulties in the stock market or the economy, consistently turned to uh, money expansion, to, to quantitative easing, money printing, to deal with those problems. So the idea behind it was that you know the stock market's down you know 30% or whatever the low was, 30 plus percent. Uh, you know, we're heading into a deep recession. Unemployment numbers are, you know, the, the unemployment print from yesterday was over 2 million, highest ever. And the Fed responds to such, responds to such news with money printer go burr. You know, that's kind of their, their default response. Let's print money. And, and believe me, there's going to be economists out there. There's going to be people that say it's, uh, it's more complicated than that, that they're not just printing money. And, uh, and obviously, they're not actually printing printing money. They're not making physical money. This is all abstract in many ways in the digital realm, but it has a very real effect on our our currency. Um, and, and ultimately, that's that's what it is. I mean, quantitative easing or or providing liquidity to the repo markets or money market funds, or whatever. it all has to do with the Fed creating dollars in order to provide some perceived need for the financial system and the economy. They're, in many ways, a one-trick pony. Obviously, that's not entirely true because their other thing that they can do is, is mess around with interest rates. Uh, but, but even in that sense, you have to understand that interest rates... Essentially, that, that's the cost of money, right? The cost to, to borrow. And by lowering interest rates, which I'll remind you, we're back down to basically zero again. Uh, playing around with interest rates ultimately uh, makes it easier for, for banks, for financial institutions to lend money, makes it easier for people to borrow money. And, and as we know, debt creation basically has to do with creation of, of currency, Right, so I mean that's really their one thing that they focus on, and, and once again they've had to to resort to this tool of lower interest rates and of money printing in the form of QE and 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 of course some of their shorter term liquidity um, uh, liquidity interventions, I guess, into, into the repo markets and money market funds, various other funds, uh, various other parts of the financial system to to keep the whole thing moving right and and of course the idea behind this <laughs> this whole meme is that it's 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 mindless that they just print money and it's 
fixes problems. But obviously, there's there's a problem with that money printing. If 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 it was simple as money printer go burr, then then every central bank the world over would do that constantly, and and nobody would ever have to worry about paying anything, and and governments would never ever have to even worry about issuing debt. They could just ask their central bank to print the money for them, and then they could spend it. I mean, obviously, there's a problem with this, right? And and obviously, the problem with printing money is inflation. And, and this isn't a new problem. I, I know. I know this. Uh, there's there's a ton of current news we could go into on the coronavirus, on the markets, even the Fed. Which, by the way, the, you know, the big headline: their balance sheet recently topped five trillion dollars in the ballpark of five point three trillion dollars. Huge expansion over just the past couple of weeks. And in addition to that, there's also uh, hundreds of billions, trillions that they're providing to to short-term funding markets and, and elsewhere. Uh, swap lines and, and repo markets and money market funds, etc. cetera. Uh, hundreds of billions, if not trillions. I, I mean, I, somebody has a running tally somewhere. I don't. Um, but but we can talk about that, and, and we, sh- we will. But, but I want to remind you of this idea of money printer go burr. Is, is no, it's not a new problem. You know, in fact, ancient Rome, uh, they ran into the same problem. Uh, the, the Roman Empire, you know, uh, Towards the end of their time, and you know the, the heyday of the Roman Empire, while it was on the decline, you know the Roman Empire faced some of the same difficulties or some of the same obligations that governments today face. They have bills to pay, but then there's also there's this there's this impetus to spend more to for the for the sake of stability in, in their view for the sake of popularity of the politicians. You know, we know Rome was a highly politicized society, uh, especially uh, surrounding the Senate and, and the Caesar themselves. And and in many ways, they responded with, with this basic money printer go burr type of meme, meme, albeit in a different way. Of course, back then they had a, a currency that was not fiat in nature. It, they used silver coins back then. Uh, they have a currency. They had a currency that was based on on silver, and and so what they had was these coins that were in circulation, silver coins, oftentimes with Caesar's head stamped on them, right? Not unlike the coins we have today, or the coins we had sixty nineteen sixty four and previous, the, the dimes and quarters. They had a certain amount of silver content, right? And this was regulated by the government. The idea behind it was, you were saying that you know a loaf of bread or a house or or day's wages cost so much they're worth so much denarius but but really we were talking about them being worth so much silver a certain weight of silver well what the government would do back then is they would collect taxes in silver coins they would bring them back to you know the central government the mint ultimately and they would remit new coins. Makes sense. Coins get worn out. They get chipped. They get dented. Especially, I'm sure, with with their minting techniques and, and metallurgy and whatnot back then. Um, so they'd mint new ones. But what they would do is they'd melt down all the past ones and add in some additional base metals. And then they'd mint more coins. But actually more coins than they actually started off with, right? So so gather a million coins and, and mint 1.1 million coins or, or whatever. But now those 1.1 million coins had the, had the same amount of silver as the 1 million coins. People just don't quite realize it, maybe at first. But over time, people caught on. 
over time, people started charging more denarius, more coins, more denarii, whatever the plural is, for a given item, for a day's wages, whatever, than, than before, because they realized that this has a lot more base metal than it did previously. It's not the same amount of silver as in the past. That's inflation, basically. And, and it got to you know, a really ridiculous point where they, to, to the point where these coins were, you know, a very small proportion of them was actually silver. That was essentially a variation of today's money printer go burr type of meme. And many, many other countries in the past have dealt with this same situation, whether it's Zimbabwe or, or France or uh, Germany or, you know, the world over. We've seen tons and tons of times, Argentina, where, where governments just print willy-nilly and, and think they can solve their problems by doing so. And inevitably, it always ends in currency destruction, which is a very destructive process. You know, there's this discussion going on right now, which is a very valid discussion. And I think you guys might know where I, I tend to fall on it. Um, this whole discussion of, is shutting down our economy worth it? Shutting down our economy in the face of this coronavirus, is it worth it? Right? Are the lives that are potentially being saved worth the economic damage? And my, generally speaking, I, th I don't think it's necessarily an either or. I think I, I do subscribe to the idea that there's a way to, to get some people back to work maybe while still keeping the risk low. What does that look like? Well, it probably isn't what, what maybe some would want it to look like in the sense that everybody goes back to work and we just make sure we don't get too close to each other. No, I mean, the problem with that is, is, and I'm going on a bit of an aside here. The problem with that is that, you know, we know this is a pretty deadly uh, uh, virus, particularly to the elderly. And so even if you do this whole, we'll, uh, we'll just make sure that the, the elderly and the at-risk, you know, stay at home and everybody else can get back to work. Well, first of all, th this is a risky, this is a, a dangerous disease for, for any age. Right, we're getting more and more reports of people in their teens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, dying, and it's not like they're all just morbidly obese and and have tons of you know. A lot of them are relatively healthy individuals, right? And those in those age groups that maybe don't die, a lot of them are being um, intubated, ventilated for weeks, and and that can do that. That can have serious ramifications. You may not come back from that. Um, well, first of all, oftentimes people never get back to 100% after that. But you may not be functional at home independently for months following something like that. You're literally just laying in a bed all day for weeks. Plus you're ventilated. That's generally not a great thing for your lungs long term. Um, there, you know, it's called uh, what post-intensive uh, care syndrome. It's very common. Very debilitating in many individuals, Right. Um, but, but so, so it's not just for the old people, but even if you do say that it's mostly the old people, it's mostly people in, in, uh, nursing homes and assisted livings, et cetera. Well, great. But guess what? If, if schools open up and everyone goes back to work and we just isolate those people, well, guess who works at nursing homes and assisted livings and, and, and all of those places. It's generally speaking, people that are younger, Right, people that will, and, and that's the case right now. I mean, they're still working in those places, even despite this, you know, slowdown of the economy. It's the people whose uh, kids 
are going back to school. It's the people whose spouse is uh, going back to work. It's the people who um, feel they may, you know, be safe to to have people over for dinner more often. All of a sudden, you know, they catch it and they spread it to their entire facility. I mean, you can see the problem in that. So, so you guys might know where I kind of fall on that. I think it's not an either or question, right? I think it's a little more complicated than that. And, and I think everyone kind of realizes that. I don't think I've seen a single order from anybody to say shut it all down because there's this notion of, of essential businesses, right? But I digress. Um, what's going to be more damaging than this current economic slowdown, which, by the way, is, is amplified by the fact that it was a huge bubble beforehand and this bubble is in the process of popping in a spectacular manner. What's going to be more Damage in this current economic, you know, shutdown for for a period of weeks here, is going to be the massive amounts of inflation that's going to occur as a result of the Fed and their money printer go burr meme of just printing their way out of every problem. And it's I mean it's not just the Fed; every central bank around the world is doing the same thing. So, you know, this it's been this race to the bottom let's see who can value their currency the fastest for 10 15 20 years now certainly accelerated during and after the great recession the financial crisis and in the past couple of weeks it's 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 accelerated to to a really feverish pace um it's a race to the bottom and it's not going to end well for the dollar i mean what you have to understand i think about this is as i said you know, before this is a huge bubble that's popping spectacularly right now, and and what that means, what that means is when everybody goes back to work, and and it's going to be a gradual process, I think, in most places. But once people get back to work, and and slowly but surely, society kind of gets back to normal. The economy gets closer back to normal in terms of people working. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that don't go back to work. There's going to be a lot of firms that are out of business. There's going to be a lot of companies that realize. Hey, maybe they weren't so essential after all, right? Um, unemployment's going to end much, much higher than it was prior, uh, because in many ways this is, I think, going to ultimately look like a pretty classic recession or depression. It's not going to be some sort of V-shaped recovery. Everything's going to go back to normal, be rosy afterwards, because this was a recession that was long overdue. This was a bubble that was long overdue to pop, and it's going to last probably for a very long time. And so what you have to understand is that, you know, the Fed balance sheet right now, 5.3 billion, or sorry, trillion, uh, when this is all said and done and when everyone goes back to, let's say May 1st, let's say things start going back to normal on May 1st. Obviously, there's going to be some things that maybe for the entire summer, maybe even to the fall, might not be a thing. I think of, you know, graduation ceremonies at high schools and colleges, um, but also sporting events, and and large gatherings of people, etc. You know those things may not come back for quite a while, right? Um, but let's say people start going back to work. You know May first, or maybe even before that, maybe a little after, depending on where and what country, etc. Okay. Let's say the Fed balance sheet. You know what is the Fed balance sheet going to be at that point in time? Five point three trillion right now. It's it realistically probably going to be north of six trillion dollars. But it's not going to stop there. The history with the Fed is that when they give a certain amount of stimulus, the market is only willing to give, allow them to take away a certain amount of stimulus once it's all said and done. 
So you look after, um, you know, after the Great Recession, you know, they cut rates from, I think, over 5% to, to zero during the Great Recession. But they were only get, able to get them back up to, you know, roughly half, just rounding numbers, I want to say is, you know, two and a quarter to two and a half, or maybe two and a half to two and three quarters percent. They were only able to get back half of what they had given to the market and to the financial system, right? They, they accumulated a huge amount on their balance sheet, and they were only able to unwind a small amount of it before they had to start up the printing presses again. Money printer go burr, right? So, and that's going to be the case this time around as well. This recession is going to last well beyond May. It's going to probably last well beyond the summer, it could stretch into 2021 because, again, this is this is a recession and a bubble popping that has been long overdue. Plus, we, we don't know exactly what this coronavirus is going to – how it's going to play out long term, but it's certainly going to lead to a lot of uncertainty. As some have pointed out, you know, economy does not run well on this apprehension, this fear of the future because of, of something like coronavirus and, and everything that that entails. Right? So even if people are back to work, that doesn't mean everything's going to flow smoothly and the economy's going to be back to, to where it was. Not at all. right? And so along the way, let's say they're at $6 trillion by May. Well, what are they going to be by the end of 2020? $7 trillion, seven and a half. By the end of 2021, are they going to be approaching $10 trillion? I I think so. Especially considering that the, the federal government has a huge bill that they're racking up right now. You know, the, the official stimulus bill was, what, two, two and a half trillion. But, you know, I've, you know we've seen estimates of, of many, many more trillions that they're going to be spending. Plus, they'll be taking in less money because, hey, it's a recession. People are paying less taxes. Certainly with the stock market doing so poorly, capital gains taxes are going to be minimal compared to, to last year and, and most previous years. I mean, this is going to be a fiscal disaster for the United States, and it obviously it's not just the United States either. But again, trillions of dollars of new debt in the next year. I mean, we're looking at officially 23, roughly 23.5 tri- uh, trillion right now. And that's basically not, that hasn't taken into account any of this new spending or lack of revenue. That's just sort of according to the U.S. debt clock. Well, hey, by the end of twenty. 20, we're probably going to be closer to 27 trillion. I'm just throwing numbers out there. 27, 28 trillion by the end of 2021. 32 trillion, 30 trillion. I mean, it's these numbers are going up fast. I mean, we've we've learned all about this exponential increase of of a virus, and 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 I think that's people get that. You know, a while ago though years ago actually when i had just started this podcast out these these videos are no longer in existence so i think i did make it uh, make it made another one after the fact but I, I put this one out talking about you know how high will the debt be basically talking about how high will the debt be when trump leaves office whether that's four years or eight years one term or two terms and and the trend in the past has been this exponential increase that every eight years the u.s national debt doubles it doubled essentially you know rounding numbers some here and there doubled under bush doubled under obama and those are both eight-year presidencies what will happen during trump's presidency and of course i remember people back then being foolish foolish enough to say you know trump said he's gonna negotiate our debt down he's gonna 
eliminate the deficit, and it, it was all bogus. That's just not um, realistic. No, no senator, no congressman would would buy into that. A lot of the U.S. people wouldn't buy into it. I'm not saying it's not a bad idea, or that it's a bad idea. I think it's not a bad idea, but but that's um, that's what he said. But but obviously, it hasn't been the trajectory at all. And here we are looking at you know at the end of his first term, which will be a little under a year from now. And and the U.S. debt's going to be twenty seven, twenty eight trillion dollars probably. Right, and you give him another four years with poor economic growth, and and now you know the new baseline in a non-recessionary environment, the new baseline is probably going to be two two and a half trillion dollar deficits, and he's going to make it to forty trillion, no problem. Um, could make it much much higher depending on what interest rates are and, and inflation and all of that. But I mean that's that's exponential. That's what I call an exponential increase as well, doubling every eight years, roughly speaking. Um, and that's what we have to look forward to. Forty trillion dollars. I mean, who buys forty trillion dollars in U.S. debt? Right now, actually, we have a lot of central banks around the world dumping U.S. treasuries. Right, the hedge fund communities and pension funds and investors and retirees here in the United States only can buy so many trillions of dollars worth of U.S. debt. Ultimately, the answer to that question is. The Federal Reserve. And, and when you put it in those terms, the Fed printing, or sorry, the U.S. government racking up um, $17 trillion over the next five years in debt, maybe more, 15 to 20. We'll, we'll just throw that number out there. Um, I would be surprised if even $5 trillion of that was soaked up by central banks around the world, by domestic and, and international investors leaving a huge funding gap, a huge funding gap, unless rates went way, way higher, but then you have a huge default risk. No, ultimately, that funding gap of 10 to $15 trillion is going to be made up by who? By the Fed, right? They're going to turn on their, you know, they're not going to turn them on. They're already on. They're already running at, at maximum speed. They're going to buy some more money printers, right? They're going to call up, you know, Xerox and say how many can you, you know, make? Um, we get it. Maybe you're thinking about switching your 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 uh, manufacturing to ventilators, but but hold on here a second because we need quite a few copying machines. We have a lot of money printing to do here, right? That's what we have to look forward to. And and for what? The Fed with this massive increase in their balance sheet, what are they going to achieve for the average person? They're gonna maybe. Prop up the equity markets a little while longer, but even then, you know, after you know the, the rally the previous two three days, I don't know how many days the market's been rallying. Um, thus far today, as I'm recording, the, the Dow Jones is down almost a thousand points, right? Still way way off of its highs from from February, not all that long ago. Um, they're going to keep interest rates low, I guess, for the federal government. They're they're going to be able to borrow cheaply, but but again, at what cost? I mean, they're going to be borrowing way, way below the actual rate of inflation, right? I mean, that's ultimately what the average person is going to get out of this printing from these radical central bank policies. It's going to be inflation. There's going to be a limited amount of, of asset uh, uh, support, support for asset classes such as equities, obviously the bond market. 
Um, but but at the end of the day, the the big whammy for for the average U.S. consumer, for the average investor, for the average retiree, is going to be a huge amount of inflation that I can guarantee you is not going to be reflected by uh, the rate that that you know the yield on bonds. It's not going to be reflected by um, the increase in in uh, cost of living for things like social security or disability or what have you. Um, or pension funds, state, city, federal, or otherwise, right? Uh, and it's unfortunately even in the private sector not going to be reflected by by increases in salaries. I think by most by most companies, right? Because they're going to have some of their own shortfalls in their budget, right? There's going to be very high inflation coming as a result of this. We've seen this movie. We've seen this story before. What happens when a government? Um, decides they can fix all their problems by printing money. And it never ends well. It never ends as politicians and as central bankers would like it to do. However, you know, the problem with this each and every time is that the the, the damage is is always left to the next generation, the next president, the next Congress, etc. Right? Many of these people, you know, career politicians, career economists, etc. Um, that that have sat by idly for for years, for decades, watching this happen. Um, they're they're going to be long gone, many of them, or at least a good chunk of them. You think of people that are now more or less retired out of politics that that sat by idly for years as this went on. Yeah, you know, I think of somebody like I don't know a Harry Reid, for the Bush family, the Clinton family, whatever. You know this they let this happen. For an extremely long period of time, and they they certainly reaped, I think, the benefits of it. But they're certainly never going to, maybe, uh, you know, the rest of us will never maybe get the justice that that should be done um, in return for for I think of such a such a criminal act against the average American. So as always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.